This, this week is Halloween, and I will, this is my annual snippet commercial for Halloween. October 31st is still the day that the Lord has made. Jesus is Lord over Halloween. Please don't get in fear. Don't embrace the dark side of Halloween. But people ask, well, what should we do? Like, decide for your family what you're going to do. But I personally think you ought to turn all the lights on and give away the biggest candy bars in your neighborhood. Come on. How about being a blessing to the community around us and letting the love of Jesus shine on that day? So there's my commercial about Halloween. You can come yell at me later if you didn't like that. Uh, <laughs> Jesus is king here in this place. And uh, this morning I wanted to do, uh, we, we finished our series, Have Your Way, last week. And I wanted just to share a message that's something God had put in my heart today called being reoriented. And uh, we were created to be oriented a certain way. When, when I'm talking about orientation this morning, I'm talking about how you feel, how you think, and how you act. How many of you know, like, that's part of when they ask you in the hospital, if you've gotten hit in the head, they try to ask you, what day is it? Where are you? Who are you? Like, that's called being oriented. You are expressing who you are. You're in your right mind. You know who you are. And I want to tell you this morning, we were all created to be oriented a certain way. All the way back in the beginning of the book, in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 27, it says, so God created man in his image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And uh, this morning, if if anybody was wondering if I'm going to go there getting nervous about it, I'm not using this verse to talk about sexual orientation today. It's amazing that one verse right in the middle of the first chapter of Genesis ignites such a firestorm in our society. If you have somebody that's wrestling or struggling with that, uh, here is what you can control in that situation. I love you. We, we have the ability to love people, and I don't care uh, where they are on that struggle, identity, wherever you want to name it. If I can get them into a place where they encounter the love of Jesus, Jesus will take care of what needs to be taken care of in their life. So that's, that wasn't where I was going to go with this sermon, but everybody, that was the first question several people asked me when I said I was going to talk about being reoriented today, like we're, we're going to open a reorientation camp to try to brainwash people. That's not where I was going with that. And uh, the other thing that goes along with that, I said I didn't know how much trouble I was going to get in and saying a bunch of stuff this morning. Uh, sexual orientation is one thing. As far as gender, my personal belief is that biologically there are two. And we shouldn't leave that decision up to children. Um, we, we don't trust kids under a certain age to drive or to vote or to drink. There's, there's bigger choices that society is asking them to make that we, shouldn't, we should raise our children. That's, that's all I want to say about that. I wanted to move on to something else because the bigger picture in this verse is that God was giving an example right there in the Garden of Eden of his eternal plan. He was showing that, hey, this is a picture of Christ and the church. This is what I want to do. When I put Adam and Eve in the garden, yes, you can make arguments about gender and those things, but what he was really giving was a bigger eternal picture of my plan for all of eternity is to have a bride for my son. To have a group of people that are fashioned in my image and in my likeness to represent me to the world around us. And that was the initial thing that he did. He created us in his image. How many of us can, will you, you, will you agree with me there this morning that we are created to be in the image of God? That was his initial plan. I made people to look like me. And somewhere along the way, that got a little bit fouled up, and uh, he wanted to have a relationship and examples of himself in the world for people to see him. He walked with Adam in the garden so that Adam could know God 
and know who he was made to be. Come on, I don't, I don't think those walks in the garden were God just coming and saying, this is what I'm all about, Adam. Look at, look at who I... I think he was telling Adam, this is who I made you to be. You see my nature, you see my character, I want you to reflect that because I made you in my image. And the point is that we were all created to be like him. We were oriented towards being, thinking, and acting like him. That was the initial plan of creation, that we were oriented to be like him. And there are things that happen in life that disorient us. I mean, you know, when you put the word dis in front of something, it means the opposite. It's usually bad. Or, or you could say you're dissing somebody. Come on. What, Jesus made a, made a record about Jesus, and he's getting dissed for it from some people this week. And if you don't know what that meant, ask somebody under 30, and they'll be happy to explain it to you. Come on, we get disoriented by things that happen in life. How many of you, when you were in youth group, you ever did the game where you put the bat on the floor and you ran around it in a circle? And then you had to turn around and run somewhere. I'm seeing a few brave people. Um, there, there it is. There's an example of it right there on the screen. But Cal, go ahead and, and roll that short little video clip just to see what happens. This, this is not the best idea if you're wanting to keep your lunch down. Oh, that's good, Cal. Come on, that, that almost makes me nervous to stand on the edge of the platform and watch while that's happening. I'm afraid about falling off. Um, you, I, will, I will say this for my benefit, not for yours, but I elected not to reenact that as a live demonstration this morning. I, I wasn't going to go there, so I showed that video. I elected not to do that live because it's a disaster waiting to happen. Uh, at our West End facility, in the fellowship hall, there are three very significant and solid support beams that go right in the middle of the fellowship hall. And from experience or from historical, somebody else did it, I will tell you it's not a good idea to have the youth group do the bat race in the fellowship hall with those posts that are there because they don't move. In spite of a youth leader saying, I've stationed people in front of the post so that no one will hit it. Bad things happen. And those posts don't move. And there is a sound you will never forget when a head strikes one of those metal posts when they're dizzy and running like that. Why, why is that a disaster waiting to happen? Because disoriented people run into things and hurt themselves. And if you have ears to hear, that's physically that happens. You spin around the bat, you're going to run into something and hurt yourself if you're not careful. Spiritually, when we get disoriented, when we disconnect from our identity of who we were made to be, we run into things and hurt ourselves in life. We don't know the way we're supposed to walk. We don't know how we're supposed to act. We get into a mess and we end up hurting ourselves because we get disoriented. And sometimes we do those things to ourselves, and then some things this just happen to us in life that take away our orientation. And uh, I had, uh, several years ago now, I can't even remember how many years ago it was, uh, I had two procedures where I needed anesthesia. Has anybody ever been disoriented upon waking up from a procedure? Come on, and it looked just like this. I, 
I looked at some pictures of like doctors working on people in the OR and putting the mask on your face. I'm like, nobody wants to see that in church. So this is exactly how my procedures went. The guy knocked me out with a hammer and I was counting sheep. The first time I had a procedure and I woke up from the anesthesia, I was angry. And in my mind, I was making a list. I was so angry at all the people who had ever shot a gun at me in my life. And I remember making this list, and I'm like, i, I got to get out of here. I can't wait to get those people. Now, I am a very suburban, white, sheltered person growing up. Nobody's ever shot a gun at me in their life. I think I, think I have been around guns on a hand. Like, I could count them on one hand, the number of times I've been in a room with a gun or actually shot a gun, not counting Sunday mornings. If anybody is packing in here, I don't want to know right now. Right. But no one's ever shot at me. But I was so disoriented waking up from the anesthesia that I, I was saying and doing things that didn't sound like me. And then the, the second procedure I had, this one was a little closer to home, almost to reality, but uh, the second procedure I had was actually uh, on Easter weekend one year. And Pam, Pam was here at church and she preached that weekend. And I was in the hospital and I remember waking up from the surgery and asking the recovery room nurse, what songs are we doing? <laughs> because somewhere in the back of my mind, I knew Easter, like it's around Easter, and I got responsibilities. And I remember asking this nurse, what songs are we doing? And I remember getting upset at her, saying, those aren't the right ones. Those won't work for Easter. <laughs> Why did that happen? Because I was disoriented. Because when you are disoriented, you do and say things that aren't like you. And that's in the natural. And spiritually, when we are disoriented, when we forget who we are, that we were made in the image of God, we begin to do and to say things that aren't really who we are. And we become disoriented in life. And spiritual disorientation is even worse than physical because we forget our true identity of the one that made us. And uh, disorientation doesn't always come from anesthesia and substances, although that is a real contributor sometimes. But at one time, all of us in this room were disoriented. There, there was a place in our lives where we had forgotten our identity of who we're, we were created to be, who he made us to be. And in Romans 5.12, here's a verse that says, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, in this way death came to all men because all sinned. Because of, because of Adam, what happened in that verse? Sin entered the world. It's, sin is like a disease that no one, no one, if you have flesh and blood, if you are a human being, you are not immune to what sin does to you. And at one point in time, we all sinned and we died. Come on, talk about the ultimate disorientation. When, when you die in the natural, what happens? You can't think you can't feel, you can't express who you are. Come on, that is disorientation defined in a nutshell. You cease to be able to express who you are. That's what happens when you die in the natural. Well, what sin did is it killed who we were. God had created us to be in his image, to look and to act and to be just like Jesus in this world, to represent him. And when we took sin into our lives, we all ended up in the same boat. We needed a savior. And I, I love, we, sometimes we think, oh, uh, because of Adam. Like if it wasn't, if Adam just hadn't done that, come on, Adam sinned and it released sin 
into the world. I'm not on the hook for Adam's sin. I was on the hook for what I did myself. I sinned and I died spiritually and I ceased to live and I needed a Savior to come save me. And Jesus, what he came and did in this world through the cross and through his resurrection, he reoriented us to the Father. And that's what we're after in our lives. We, we want to stay in that place where we remember where we are reoriented to who we were created to be. How did Jesus do that? Romans 10.9 is a great verse that we always talk about for salvation. It says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Come on, we always... Do you ever have somebody ask you, saved from what? Like maybe you've quoted this verse to them and they're like, you will be saved. You need Jesus to save you. And they're like, from what? From sin and death, because sin killed us, and we died and forgot that, man, I was created to be like him. My true identity died, and I was living in my own sin and my own lordship. Man, Jesus, thank you for coming and saving us. He restored our relationship with the one who defines us. That's why I said we need to be reoriented. There is somebody that has a definition of who we're supposed to be and how we're supposed to live. And Jesus came to restore that. And how does that relationship get restored? It's pretty simple. It comes with believing that Jesus was the Son of God, that he died on the cross and raised from the dead and confessing that he is Lord. And if, if you're in this room this morning and you've never done that, this is a great day to do that. It, it really is... I'm not going to tell you the Christian life is easy or that it's short or that it's a sprint. It is a, it is a long race. There are hardships that still come in life, but starting that journey is easy. It's just a matter of, man, in my heart, I know that what Jesus did was for me, and I need him to be the Lord of my life. I need to stop running my own show and say that he is going to be the Lord. And if you're in this room this morning and you've never made that decision, this is a great day. Decide right now. Jesus, you're the Lord, and I want you to let somebody know. As soon as we're done, come up and see me or tell somebody next to you right now. Like, he's, he's right. I, be, I believe that, but I've never said it before. And it's as easy as starting a relationship with him. Ah, Here's the kicker, though. Even after I get saved, Jesus came. He was my Savior, saved me from sin and death. Sometimes I still get disoriented. Has anybody in this room besides me ever done or said, or acted in a way that was not looking exactly like Jesus. Is anybody in this room willing to admit on the way to church this morning, I, I did, said, and acted in ways that weren't like Jesus? Come on, it, it happens a lot. Why is it we still get disoriented? It's almost like, even though I'm saved, even though I know who I'm supposed to be, I see Jesus, I see what he did for me, I, I agree with that verse in Genesis, we were created to be in his image, it's like you still get bumped on the head or something. And you're walking through life and like, oh, I got a little disoriented and I started acting in a way that didn't line up with who I was made to be. We begin to get overly critical. We begin to get judgmental. We complain. We get angry. We worry. Come on, these are things that you're disoriented when you're doing that. We are not acting like who we were made to be. I start getting selfish. There's all kinds of junk that starts coming out sometimes. And it's a matter of, man, I got my eyes off of Jesus. Somehow I got disoriented. It's like I was trying to run the Christian race and I stopped to spin my head around on a bat. And now I know I'm supposed to go over there, but my walk is going like this. And we need to, it's really as simple 
is getting reoriented sometimes and coming back to our senses. What I give my attention to begins to define me in life. Come on, think about with me for a second in Matthew 14, the story of Jesus calling Peter out of the boat. I didn't put any of the verses up on the screen because it's a very familiar story for most people. But the, in a nutshell, the disciples are in a boat. They're going across the lake and a huge storm kicks up. And Jesus had not gone with them. He sent them on the boat by themselves. And in the middle of the night, Jesus, come on, he's so cool. Would you think to do this? If this were your story, would you have thought to put this part in? In the middle of the night, Jesus comes walking on top of the water. Come on, this is not like, oh, it was so shallow, there was a little sandbar, or he had on boat shoes. and was. He's walking. Come on, the Lord of all creation is defying the law of gravity, supernaturally empowered by the Holy Spirit. He's walking on top of the water. Who's ever tried this at home? Like, literally, did you ever, like, pray and think, oh, I filled the bathtub, I'm just going to try it. Or, like, hey, there's a little pond in the backyard, I'm just going to see if Jesus will let me do this right now. I, I would say go for it. Give it a shot as often as you can. I've, I've heard stories of missionaries needing to evangelize places that, oh, there was a, two islands far apart, and Jesus walked them across the water to get to the island, but... I've never personally experienced it in my life, but I think it would be awesome to do or to see. And so here's Jesus walking on the lake in the middle of the night, in the middle of this storm, and the disciples are like, oh my gosh, is it a ghost? Who is this guy? No, no, it might be Jesus. And Peter, who we all identify with Peter at some point, because he was the hothead, he was the impulsive one, he did the crazy things, he also trusted and saw amazing miracles. Peter says, well, Lord, if it is you... Ask me to come out and walk on the water with you. Come on, you know how the story went. So Jesus says, all right, you know, come on, God always responds to faith. And I think there was something in Peter's statement of like, hey, I believe if that's you, I could do what you're doing. And so Peter steps out of the boat and he begins to walk on the water. And what's, you've probably heard a million sermons preached on this. What was the secret to Peter walking on the water? He kept his eyes on Jesus. His focus was on Jesus because what he began to believe is like, ah, if he can do it, I can do it too because I'm like him. I'm, I'm a water walker. Come on. I, I just picture Peter believing and saying this and getting motivated like, I'm, I'm a water walker. I'm a supernatural guy. I can do this. And as long as he was focused on Jesus, he lived, acted, and did exactly what Jesus did. He was oriented in the right direction. And the moment he took his eyes off of Jesus, what happened? He got disoriented. The storm, chaos, worry, fear, all of these things began to grow in his life because he was disoriented. Come on, the things that we focus and give our attention to is what gets reproduced in our lives. And as long as I've got my eyes fixed on Jesus, his life begins to be reproduced in me. But the moment I take my attention off of him, and I begin to look at the cares of the world and the worries and the fears that I have. And I begin to think, come on, we've all done this. We get in a situation for whatever reason, we start to leave Jesus out of the equation. Oh, how am I ever going to figure this out? This is so bad. This is so horrible. I'll never get through this. And we forget like, oh, I know somebody that walks on the water. I know somebody that does miracles. I know somebody that has all resources and power at his disposal. And he loves me. And the more I focus on him, the more I get oriented back to where I'm supposed to do and who I'm supposed to be. And I can say, wow, if he needs me to walk on the water, I could do that because he's with me. 
The Bible tells us what our attention should be on and, and how we should be oriented. In Hebrews chapter 12, this is a verse that goes along with that story of Peter keeping his eyes on Jesus. Hebrews 12, 2 says, Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Can we just say thank you to Jesus for a second for that verse? Thank you for enduring the cross, Lord Jesus. He loved us so much that he looked at that thing and he said, there's a bunch of shame and pain associated with that and I don't, I'm not even going to count. I'm going to go do it because of my love for you. Thank you, Lord. I don't, we, we don't even grasp what that's like. There's, I, Pam is the love of my life. And sometimes I wonder, would I really do that for her? Like, would I go through that pain or that suffering or, you know, sometimes I'm like, hey, I'm so comfortable I wouldn't even get up off the couch to get you a drink. Like, those are the stupid things I get tripped on. Yet Jesus looked at the cross and death and suffering and shame and indignity and said, it's worth it. It's worth it for love. Man, thank you, Lord Jesus. Well, the reason I read that verse, I wanted to look at who does what in this verse. And, and what the responsibilities are supposed to be. Jesus started faith in us. Come on, can we all agree that even, even believing came from him? The power to believe, the enablement to see, to have the blinders off our eyes. It says he's the author of our faith. What's that mean? He's the one that originated it. He said, this is my idea. I want you to believe in me and I'm going to call you and draw you to the point where you, I'm going to give you the faith to even believe in me. He's the author of it. And then what did he do? He's the perfecter of it. That means he's the one continuing to grow it in us. He is bringing it into maturity in us. You need more faith in the situation. Come on, according to this verse, you are not the perfecter of your faith. You are not the maturer of your faith. If I need to grow in my faith, it's not a matter of me saying, okay, I'm going to work harder at this. I'm going to do more. Oh, oh, we, we prayed for an hour yesterday. We're going to pray for two hours today because I want to grow in my faith. You can't do it. He is the perfecter of our faith. And the more we keep our eyes fixed on Him, the more that begins to grow in us. Why do we get so worked up and we get things so out of context of thinking, I've got to do all this stuff, when there's a verse right there that says, not only did He start your faith, He's going to grow it and mature it in you. And it all comes back to, do I just keep my eyes fixed on him? Do I keep the roles right in this verse? Oh, he's the author and the perfecter, and all I have to do is keep looking at him to see who he is and to remind myself, oh, that's my part in this role. My job is to keep my eyes fixed on him, not to look at the situations around me. And when we get disoriented in life, we need to look at Jesus and be reminded of who he is and what he's done for us. Lord Jesus, you died so I didn't have to. You, you took stripes on your back. You suffered for us so that we could be free from sin and death and disease and all those things, the pain that comes. You took that on yourself. You made me a new creation. Come on, there's whatever the list you need to see when you look at Jesus, you need to start seeing it. Whatever encourages and reminds you, gets you reoriented to who he made you to be, that's where we need to spend our time. The verse doesn't say, fix my eyes on my circumstances. 
doesn't say fix my eyes on my shortcomings and my inabilities. This verse doesn't even say fix your eyes on that sin and get it out of your life. Come on. Because the reality is what you give your attention to is what grows in your life. And if you walk around sin conscious all the time and all you're focused on is, oh, sin, 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 and I've got to try harder not to sin, you're going to end up sinning. It's much better to say, somebody set me free from sin and death. And the more I keep my eyes on him, the more I see who I'm supposed to be. And those weights and those sins and those entanglements fall off of me. Paul's in the middle. <laughs> He's in the middle of making a case to the Colossians. There, there's things we shouldn't do. Come on. He, because he was saying, hey, don't act a certain way. There, there are ungodly things that try to creep into our lives. There are sinful things we do that Paul's in the middle of making a case. Stop that. You shouldn't do those things. And he says this in the middle of his letter to the Colossians in chapter 3 and verse 9. He says, do not lie to each other since you've taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge, in the image of its creator. He's not saying, in the middle of this whole discussion, he's not saying, don't do all these sinful things so that God will accept you. Come on, can you hear that in this verse? He's, he's not giving them this list and saying, well, if you just do this, if you don't lie, you don't steal, you don't sleep around, you don't do all these things, God will accept you and you'll be good enough for him. He's saying, don't do those things because you've already been accepted. He's saying it's not becoming to act like that as a child of God. You were created to be a certain way. And if you read this verse very closely, what he's saying is we get renewed in the knowledge of what? The image of the Creator. There is a renewing of our mind that takes place in our lives where he's saying, this is who I made you to be. The more you look at me, the more you begin to see this begin to grow in your life. I love... Our, our old self really was carried to the cross with Jesus. He, he drew all men into himself, and he nailed our old self to that cross with him. And we put on a new self. He has made us a new creation. I love, uh, I don't use it often in Sunday mornings, but the message translation of that verse talks about our old self, and it says it's like a filthy set of ill-fitting clothes that you've stripped off and put in the fire. Why do we walk around sometimes like we're still wearing our old self? And i got to just clean it up. Oh, if I just clean up these old clothes that I'm wearing, it'll be acceptable for Jesus. And the fact is, he's not cleaning up the old you. He made you a new you. And that's what he's after, saying, hey, every day as you walk with me, I'm going to keep you oriented on the goal. This is who I am, and that's who I made you to be. And I've made you a new creation. Begin to understand it and walk in it. And what I want us to do, don't, come on, and don't get discouraged in the process of growing. Come on, no, no one in this room is going to blow smoke at you and say, well, I did everything exactly right this week. Anybody have one of those weeks? <laughs> yeah, I thought not. Just for the, for the recording and the audio, no hands went up in the room. Why is that? Come on, well, you, it's a lie from the enemy that he's trying to tell you, well, you're the only one that really screwed up this week. You're the only one that sinned like that this week. You shouldn't even show your face on Sunday morning because nobody's going to be able to look you in the eye. That's a lie. Everybody's got issues we're dealing with. Everybody stumbles and falls. But the good news is Jesus lives in us. 
And he gets us up every time. He dusts us off. He says, I'm going to give you another shot at that, son. Let's, let's go through it again. Let's keep walking. You spun around that bat so much you fell down ten times walking there, but I'm going to help lift you up and we're going to walk together. Thank you, Jesus, for your help in our lives. Don't get discouraged in the process of growing. Uh, I want to reorient ourselves this morning by fixing our eyes on Jesus. And how do we do that? I think we can remind ourselves of some things. I want to, and, and these are, I put some statements on the screen this morning that we're going we're gonna to read these together. But it's not for the sake of just memorizing some creed. Come on. How many of you know you can memorize a whole bunch of stuff that doesn't ever change how you're living? This, this is not just to say, oh, I memorized it so we, we'll get an award at church or they'll give me a little prize. We're going to read these things so that we can let them work in us and begin to renew our minds and remind ourselves, oh, I was getting a little disoriented there. Man, you won't believe what I did this week. But I came this morning and I'm going to remind myself this is what's really true. And uh, let's, let's go ahead and actually stand together. I think this would be a good one. We're, we're going to reorient ourselves. We're going to get back on touch. And your list might be different. You might have a different list that you need to go home and read and remind yourself about Jesus. Come on, he is so amazing that he can do a hundred different things in a hundred different people's lives and meet us right where we need to be. But for us together this morning, this is the list I put together for us. And if you're willing and, and you affirm these things, let's read them together. It's, it's a pretty simple list, but let's go ahead and read. I believe that Jesus is the Son of God and Lord of all. He died and rose again. He destroyed the power of sin and death. He made me a new creation. Who I am in Christ is the real me. He loves me and empowers me to love others. As he is, so are we in this world. Man, that's good news. Let's give Jesus a hand for doing those things. That, that last statement on the list is right from 1 John 4. As he is, so are we in this world. What an amazing promise he's given to us that we get to be like him in this world. And uh, <laughs> who I am in Christ is the real me. I continue to say it. When you're here, when you're in the anointing, when the Holy Spirit is moving, that's the real you. Those, those feelings you feel when you get in Jesus' presence, I love everybody, I just want to hug everybody, I want to empty my pockets and give stuff away. That's the real you. The real you is not the uptight, I cussed that person out, I got angry at my spouse, I did, oh, I... I that's not the real you. The real you is who you are in the presence of Jesus. And that's why we need to do this sometimes, to just reorient ourselves to say, oh yeah, I, I forgot. I spun around the bat one too many times and I fell down this week. But I need to get my eyes back on him. I need to fix my eyes on him. And so this is, this is our homework this week, which you can all do because just like Jesus in this world is who you are. Um, it's one thing to remind ourselves of that. But how many of you know it's really encouraging when somebody else says that to you? When somebody says, man, I see Jesus in you. Man, you were so generous last week. That's, that's just like something Jesus would do. When you called and prayed for me, Man, that was just like something Jesus would do. You remembered me. Yeah. It's one thing to read that list ourselves, but it's a whole other thing to hear it from somebody else. So our action item this week is tell somebody that you see Jesus in them. I don't, and I don't care who it is. It could be somebody that you meet at the store, somebody that you know in your family, or it could be somebody here from New Life Fellowship that you're just going to pull out your phone and send them a text this week or send them an email. 
whatever is, or snap. What's, it's old school to say send them a text or an email now. There's like, there's way other current ways to do that. But whatever works for you, maybe you're going to sit down and you're going to get out your papyri and your quill. And you're going to get your ink blotter and you're going to write them a little note. Whatever you need to do, encourage somebody this week. Tell them this is how I see Jesus in you. Let them know that, hey, I'm, I'm on this journey with you. And, and we're all trying to be oriented on who he is and who we're supposed to be. Can we do that this, morning, this, this week? Is that too hard of homework? Are we able to do that? All right. How about this? That's too many questions that were confusing at one time. Show me your hand if you're willing to do this with me this week. That's a good one right there. Man, so you guys all said you're going to do that, and I'll tell you, if you forget to do the homework this week, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If you forgot to do last week's homework, it's okay. I'm not grading you on a strict uh, 90 to 100 or whatever. It's the intention of our heart. My heart is oriented towards him. I want to do what he wants me to do. And I'd love for us to all do this for somebody this week to, to let them know we see Jesus in them also. Uh, let's, let's go ahead and pray, because I think there needs to be more encouragement in the world. There's enough discouragement that happens everywhere, and I think we need to remind each other that we see Jesus in one another. Right. Father, we thank you for what you've done in our lives. We thank you for the power that you displayed when Jesus came and walked on this earth. He demonstrated that he had authority and victory over anything the devil could throw against him. Right. Lord, we right. thank you that when Jesus, when you went to the cross, you showed the world that even sin and death don't have the final say. And Lord, I thank you that you created us to be like you. You gave us your spirit so that we could walk and represent you in this world. And I ask this week that as we go from this place, we would be constantly reminded of who we are in you, that your spirit would be with us, literally breathing our breath with us. Oh, God, we don't even comprehend sometimes what it means to be one with you. God, I ask that your spirit would be so present in our lives that people around us would see Jesus, that they would feel the love, the acceptance, the same things that they felt when they were physically in your presence and these things that we read about in the Bible. Lord, we ask that people would feel that when we enter the room because of your life that lives in us. God, we honor you. We love you. We thank you for your freedom. We ask that as as we go today, Lord, that your goodness and your mercy would go with us at all times. God, that the favor of your presence would so overwhelm everywhere we are that people would see it. Lord, we ask this not just for our own sakes, but Jesus, so that your name would be exalted, so that you would be made famous in the whole earth, so that people could encounter you and be set free from sin and death. We just give you the glory and the honor this morning. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. Can we give him one more hand in this place? Because he's good. Thank you, Lord Jesus.